Hi there, it's Paul Tizard from Love Fly, and I help people to get over their fear of flying in 30 days or less. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about the top fears that people tell me that they have. I have six, possibly seven, that come up time and time again. So starting with number one, number one has to be when you ask people turbulence. And if I was to extend it a little bit more than that, probably turbulence and weather, air pockets, lightning, rain, wind, that sort of stuff. Um, possibly the clouds as well. So all of those sort of weather related things, but they all lead to the same fundamental idea. Are we actually safe when we fly? Because how can it be safe? You know, if we get struck by lightning, are we in any danger? If we go through clouds, is that okay? Is it better to fly on a sunny day because there's less turbulence? Or is it better to fly on a day where it's a bit overcast? And actually, all of those things are taken into consideration by flight planning and pilots and, you know, all the weather charts and everything that get looked at. They predict what the weather patterns will be like. And the main message that you need to think about with turbulence, etc., etc., is if it isn't safe, we don't take off. And if we're up there and we go near a storm, we don't go within 10 miles of a storm cloud, by the way, or the, the epicentre of it, if that's the right word. But a lot of people will say, you know, we're right next to the storms, but it just seems like that because that's perspective. If it's not safe, we don't go near it. It's as simple as that. Now, when it comes to turbulence, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, there's generally three levels of that. And we call it light, moderate and severe. And these are just terms that we use in aviation. It doesn't literally mean that you are in mortal danger. The only danger you are ever in from turbulence is if you're stood up. So often when there is unexpected turbulence and it doesn't take much movement to unsettle somebody, only a movement of a couple of feet is enough for someone to wobble over. So the people that tend to get injured during turbulence, more often than not, are the cabin crew. Now, you know when the first signs, the seatbelt signs come on, which a lot of people think means it's a bad thing, but that's just the pilots with our duty of care. We decide that it's safer that we get people to sit down. But the crew are used to walking around turbulence, so they're often up when the turbulence is still going. And then if it gets a little bit more rocky, then... Everybody has to sit down, but the pilots are strapped in all the time anyway. They always have seatbelts on. Now, the thing that people often think about turbulence is that it always feels worse than it is. It's like it's been feel like it's dropping out the sky, but that is not the case. It absolutely is not the case. And if you could ever be up the front and see the instruments doing turbulence, you'd be amazed at how actual little movement there is. Now, over you know, hundreds of miles, of course the aircraft can change altitude and maybe by hundreds of feet, but it doesn't do it in an instant. It doesn't suddenly change hundreds of feet in an instant because remember, we're going along, we weigh like 400 tonnes and we're going along at, you know, four to 500 miles an hour. Can you imagine that, the power of that? It's going to take a heck of a lot to knock us off, but a lot of people... Turbulence is up there with number one, but I actually think the number one fear is not being in control. 
Because if you have, uh, you're driving in your car and you think, oh, you know, I don't like it, I can just pull over. I can just pull over. But how can you do that in an aircraft? Well, you can't, can you? Well, the pilot's good, but it'd take a little while to do that. You can't just pull over. So the perception is that actually I'm not in control, therefore it can't be very safe. That is your perception. Can you relate to that? It's not the actual reality. The reality is in terms of the amount of safety procedures that we all have to learn and go through and all the tests and retests and just the standards, it's phenomenal. Literally, it's phenomenal. So the chances of you actually having anything happen to you that's even remotely interesting is so, so slim. It's not even worth talking about, but it still creates that feeling of not being in control of what happens to you. And and let's be completely brutally honest here. You're not in control. You're vaguely in charge of yourself. You can, you know, control your breathing. You can sort out maybe some of your thought processes. You can pack. You can wear certain clothing. You can bring water with you. These are all things you're in control of. But you're not in control of the aircraft. There's better qualified people that are. And let them do that. Let them do the work. Fear number two, or three, if it's going to be accurate, and we've already covered uh, turbulence weather and all that sort of stuff, and we talked about not being in control. The next one I would say would be claustrophobia. Uh, fear of enclosed spaces. A lot of people feel very trapped on an aircraft. Now, people sometimes say to me, oh, aircraft are extremely claustrophobic. Maybe you think that yourself. They're, they're so claustrophobic. So if aircraft are claustrophobic, then why doesn't everybody feel claustrophobic on one? So would it be fair to say that actually aircraft are not claustrophobic, they're just aircraft? But what you think about that environment is whether you deem it to be claustrophobic or not. Now, there are some aircraft I've been on. I'm six foot. I do find them a little bit closed in, but I don't feel claustrophobic. So you can see the difference there. So our perception is a massive deal here. So some people who are claustrophobic on aircraft don't feel the same on a tube or getting in a car, which is probably similar sort of space because they tell themselves different things about that environment. So actually, claustrophobia is what I'd call a bespoke fear. And it's different for different people. So some people say, I don't feel claustrophobic as long as there's two aisles. Uh, I don't feel claustrophobic as long as I can sit near the front. I don't feel claustrophobic if I can get on first. You know, so there are certain rules that surround claustrophobia. So we can't just take it at face value. And I'm sure you can relate to that. So that's number three. Uh, Number four, I would say it's something like terrorism. Now, not as massive a fear as people imagine it to be, because depending on who you talk to, you might believe... Oh, everyone's worried about terrorism. But the reality is not everyone does. A lot of people who have a fear of flying will actually say, yeah, I know it's pretty safe because it's so difficult to get through security and all the rest of it. So I think if a terrorist is is determined, they've got to go through a lot of effort to do something quite significant. Aviation, commercial aviation, is not an easy target for terrorists. And so whilst it might be still in people's minds, so some of the attacks like the Twin Towers in New York, these very strong visual images do stay with us after, well, long after something's happened. So for some people it is a concern, and others might even be 
looking at all the other passengers and working out he looks like a terrorist, she looks like a terrorist because, you know, they've worked out what a terrorist looks like, which is great because I don't know what they look like. But when our brains are actively seeking uh, reassurance and looking for danger and scanning for threats, we will see people and think, he's being a bit dodgy, he's a bit shifty in his manner, so maybe there's something going on there. But So I would say that terrorism is a fear, but it's not as big for people as perhaps many think. Heights. Heights comes up quite a lot. A lot of people say I've got scared of heights and so I'm scared of flying. And one of the things I'll say to that is that I can understand the perception of why that would be a fear. But actually, I know many pilots who are also scared of heights, but they don't get it in aircraft. So why is that? Well, one way to think about it is that when you're in an aircraft, you're, you're on a... It's like an artificial ground. So a bit like a ship does. When you're on a ship in the middle of the sea, you're five miles above the bottom of the sea sometimes. Okay, but you don't think about that because you're stood on something pretty firm and that thing is bobbing about on the sea. And in a lot of ways, that's what aircraft are like. You're stood on something firm that's also being supported by physics, albeit you can't see it, but it's still there, very powerful, just as powerful as the water holding up the boat. And that's what's holding up the aircraft. But you can't see it. So actually, you are not at height in terms of standing at heights. You're not looking. It's not like climbing up a ladder or the side of a building on top of a roof. And like, That's a different perspective. So once you get above a certain height, you can't really tell how high you are. So a lot of people who have a fear of heights often say to them, look out the window. And they say, oh, I can't do that. I couldn't possibly do that. No, do it you'd be amazed and get up and walk about and you'll feel how firm and solid your environment is it's like walking around on normal earth so very much like the ship you're five miles above the bottom of the sea so we might be five miles above the earth but we're on a solid surface so that often helps people who have that particular fear next one well i have to say something around air People worry about running out of air. What's the circulation like? And I think that's become particularly pronounced with the COVID-19 scenario. People worry about how safe is it to fly. And it's not been a it's not been measured as thoroughly as lots of the other fears. So we don't have the data yet because if when the pandemic's over, uh, assuming it will have, be over at some point, we will probably be able to then measure do people have a fear of catching something like that? And people will often say they worry about the air running out or the air not being clean. But the air is actually replaced every two to three minutes with these amazing filters, which we've talked about on previous blogs, etc. So the air, I'm not worried about the air, but I know people do worry about that. And perhaps with the COVID element now, that's going to create another strand to the fear of flying um, smorgasbord, as you might call it. The last one I'm going to cover, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but just these are the ones that kind of sprung top top of my top of the list or first to mind. It's pilot error. A lot of people worry about you know technical failure, pilot error, that sort of grouping around stuff. Things going wrong. What's the backup? What happens if? What if this happens? What if that happens? So I guess the great thing I'd say about this is that. There's no single point of failure in aviation. 
in commercial aviation. There's a backup for everything and there's normally a backup for that and sometimes another backup for that. And a very simple example is there's always two pilots. And once you get above about nine hours, it goes up to three pilots. There's extra resources. And once they get above 12, 13, when you get to that those sort of length flights, you might have four pilots there all rotating to make sure they get rest. They have bunks that they can sleep in and the hours are very strictly controlled. The other thing about pilots is that you get, well, and all crew actually get retested every six to 12 months. The pilots, it's a little bit more rigorous in terms of they're put, put into simulators and then given all of the drills that you have to go through to make sure that you can do everything that goes wrong in an aircraft potentially. So your fear list, your complete list of things that could possibly go wrong ever, that's what they have to pass every six months. Plus they've got a very rigorous medical as well to make sure they're in kind of good shape. There's lots of other procedures I could bore you with, maybe the subject for another podcast, but there's a lot in place. The last factor that I want to talk about in terms of the pilot error and it applies to the safety culture, actually, is the human factors. So human factors is that accepting the fact that we are humans that can fail, humans that can make mistakes. And so a lot of the procedures that are put in place now have been learned because of things that happened in the past. So in commercial aviation, our, our goal is never to have an incident repeat so that we have a chance to learn from it, put a new procedure in place, put retraining in place, change the item whatever it is that's what we do because ultimately safety is our first concern because without safety we don't have a business and I know that sounds really cheesy but without safety if you don't feel that this airline's safe no one will fly with it it won't take an airline very long to go out of business if you get a sniff of or suspect "Mm, I don't really trust their procedures or I don't feel very safe with them that sort of thing Once that rumour spreads, that's it. That airline's out of business because no one will go near them. So we take safety very, very seriously. So I hope that's helped. So we've done a rattle through, talked about turbulence, weather, not being in control, claustrophobia, uh, heights, terrorism, COVID and air and pilot error, stroke, human factors. Look forward to talking to you next time. So thank you for listening.